Welcome to the Leadership Window Podcast with Dr. Patrick Jinks. Each week through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is a board-certified executive coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and a professional speaker. And now, here's Dr. Patrick Jinks. All right, we are officially into our second century of episodes. We're past 100. This is episode 101, so we enter into a new era. The first podcast under our new company brand, The Leader's Perspective. The Jinx Perspective has become The Leader's Perspective, and all I'm going to say is go back to episode 100, and you'll hear all about that. Today is not about me, though. This is a great episode because if you go all the way back to episode 5, Three years ago, we were, I guess, right in the heart of COVID still, October of 2020, actually. This, uh, my good friend and colleague, Forrest Alton from 1000 Feathers was on the show, and he's back. Only this time, he's here in the studio, the home studio with us, and uh, just traveling all over the place and coming through here. I don't even know why he's here in Columbia. I don't think it's, I don't think it's uh, to come onto my podcast, but, um, and headed to Charlotte from here and all over the place based in Memphis. Now, uh, we'll, we'll have him catch us up a little bit, but Forrest is, uh, when I got to Columbia, South Carolina in 2015, um, I was working my first sort of long-term contract with my coaching company. And in 2016 is when I really took it full time. We had been, uh, six or seven years sort of as a side gig. And in 2016, we took it full time. And if I'm not mistaken, that's right around when 1000 feathers was formed. It is almost yeah. exactly. And uh, you, we turned seven in July. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of us two, we're turning 15 this year because again, we were eight years, you know, the company's been around, but when we went full-time in 2016, there were three or four of us in the state that just found ourselves operating in similar spaces. And because of that, we, I think we pushed each other and we learned from each other and we all became good friends and remain so to this day. We've done some collective work, uh, some collective blogging and videoing and stuff back in COVID, helping organizations and ourselves right, think right. through that. Um, and um, but you, Forrest, you were running the um, campaign to end teen pregnancy, which is now fact forward here in South Carolina, and just huge success. Made a name for certainly for the organization because of the success that the organization had the measurable success you had, but you made a name for yourself too, which I think really gave you a great runway into the consulting world. And we came across this, well, we came across it, it we follow you. So, and I say we, Madeline McGee is the president of our state nonprofit association here together SC and she and I both saw this blog that you put up recently on your website, some new things happening and, and uh, some new direction for 1000 feathers. And this blog post that you put was, uh, seven things you've learned in the seven years that you've been in the business. Yeah. And Madeline and I both looked at it and said, this needs, like this needs to get out in a lot of places because 
it's lessons learned as a, a an entrepreneur starting out almost as a solopreneur and now you've got a full team and uh, what you've learned in helping organizations. And it just, I mean, I read it and it inspired me and I'm thinking, well, okay, here's one I've learned too. Here's one I haven't learned yet. Ooh, I need <laughs> to learn this one. Um, but anyway, Forrest, thanks for coming on the show and, um, and taking the time during your, uh, your trip here to stop by and have a chat with us about this, because I just thought this has to go, this has to go out first. I, I wanted to help you celebrate seven years and I wanted to remind our listeners of this amazing consultancy that you've built 1000 feathers. It is it's first class. It's just first rate first. It's premium. If you want the real stuff, the good stuff, the sophisticated, these people know what they're doing stuff. Call 1000 feathers. Honestly, just fantastic, fantastic work from anyone I've ever heard. And you can see it. If you just, just look them up, you'll just see it. But thanks for coming on and sharing this with us. I'm, I'm anxious to dig into it, but, um, first catch us up. Like what have you, you, you Memphis now three years. So how's yeah. Memphis and yeah. how's the business? What's, what's changed over the last three years since you left South Carolina? Just catch oh, us up. Wow. It's a great question. First of all, uh, really, really glad to be with you in person. Uh, <clears throat> you know, as you it's said, different, isn't it? <laughs> it is different. It is different. Uh, and, and that I suppose is at the top of a list of things that are different from three years ago. Oh, right. Yeah. Episode five of this podcast that we recorded in October of 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife and I had just relocated to Memphis. We were still had all of us as a, as a society, lots of questions and uncertainty about a global pandemic and what that was going to mean, not just for our, our health and well-being, but for work and life and all of those things. And boy, lots and lots to, to think about even in that three years, right? Not, well, not, not to mention you've done 96 other episodes of this show between when I was on the last time and now. True. Wow. Yeah, that's true. You, you got to tell everyone it, life had to have been different in your household during COVID because of the blonde scientist. That yeah, you're for to. sure. So for sure. <laughs> I, I am remind married. everybody who that is. I am married to the blonde scientist. <laughs> uh, my wife, Dr. Heather Brandt, uh, was recruited to, to, join the leadership team at St. Jude Children's Hospital in Memphis. That is the motivation for our move and relocation there. And, you know, that has proven to be a, a great experience for her and for us. And we're learning to love our new city and still trying to find our way a little bit, having moved right in the middle of COVID. Uh, you know, I realize it's a maybe position of privilege to say, this, but if you ever have the choice to relocate in a global pandemic, I would advise against it. Right? It's not uh, not something I would suggest that people do. But you know, fortunately, we have a, a a really strong base of relationships and partnerships and clients back here in South Carolina. I'm I'm still back here on the East Coast quite a bit. This is one of those trips. I reached out to a few other folks, said, listen, I've got to come in town to be on Patrick's podcast. Are there other things I can do <laughs> while right, I'm here? Right, and, right, you know, right. filled out the week. So uh, glad, to, glad to make a busy trip. Yeah, very cool. I remember for us sitting in a, in a mm -hmm. restaurant or a bar downtown 
with you and your wife and a few other, was, were they consultants or were they people from the, was it the Together SC Summit maybe that we were at? Oh, wow. That's right. That and would have we, been March of 2020. Yeah, because I remember, so, you know, f- for our listeners, um, Forrest's wife, yes, is a doctor and a scientist and happens to happens to live and be an expert around this field yeah, of right. uh, pandemics, right. epidemiology, vaccines. Vaccines the whole thing. in particular, yeah. Yeah, vaccines in particular. And so um, I remember we were talking, I was like, picking her brain i was going should i fly should should i should i put so do we wear a mask right now do we and boy i mean march of 2020 nobody knew what we knew was the common sense stuff and what the science normally would tell us at a time like this and then of course things you know changed and got confusing and everybody knows what happened over Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know a couple Mm -hmm. of years of Mm -hmm. what do we do but i remember that conversation yeah for sure it's it's interesting and i'll i'll give you a full circle moment uh not shouting out the restaurant no no free promos here Mm -hmm. but the the bar where we had that conversation that you're mentioning i had lunch there today <laughs> that is a true story okay well do you what's the name of the place we'll uh, say Ham- hampton street vineyards that's Down, right. downtown okay. yeah that's right yeah the yeah, conference yeah. was at the marriott i think yep. it's right across the street and uh that that's where we were then and it's where i had lunch today all right it's a good place free plum they just got a free plug there you go <laughs> that's right. it was good and it was good enough for you to go back <laughs> exactly um forrest you you um tell us a little bit real quickly remind our listeners the kind of work you do what is 1000 feathers all about yeah, uh, good question. And, you know, seven years later, uh, we're on a journey just like anyone else trying to to figure that out. And I think it's part of this sort of larger dialogue we'll have today around seven lessons for seven years, sort of being more comfortable, becoming more comfortable in our own skin. Um, we have really locked on to the, the statement or description transformation, not transaction, as a part of a descriptor of who we are. Uh, That is a a sort of shorthand way of articulating our vision and mission, which were just recently updated. Um, Our vision is that all communities and the people who live in them have the strength, resiliency, and ability to reach their full potential. The, 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 the strength, resiliency, and ability to reach their full potential. Our, our mission or our charge then as a consulting firm is to work solely in the transformation space with organizations, coalitions, and systems. And I'll tell you that we do our best work and, and frankly do most of our work these days with coalitions, communities, and systems. It's pretty rare that we are in a one-to-one consultancy to organization relationship. And that's changed in seven years. That has changed a lot in seven years. And yeah. and that's not to say we don't do any of it, right. uh, but it is right. not the majority of our work by any means. Yeah. Uh, it, our last conversation in person was at also another Together SC Summit last year, I think it was. Yeah. yeah. Where you, and you were telling me about that move and that transition for 1000 Feathers to more of a systems look at thing. You just said something I hadn't really thought about, and I appreciate this. Your vision statement is a community vision statement that sounds like some nonprofit might have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, our, our vision at the leader's perspective is more of an, a sector vision mm-hmm. for the businesses, though. It's, a, it. it's a faster, it. more agile, like nonprofit sector for the businesses. Yeah. I really love that your vision is is about the people in the communities. It's even beyond the, quote, clients that you're working with. That's that's true mission bent right there. I just 
want to acknowledge that. Well, I appreciate you lifting that up. And <clears throat> excuse me, it took us a while to get there, right? And it and it took some courageous conversations within our own team. Uh, and you know, I'll tell you that uh, a, a lot of this framing came from, and and even recently, uh, our team member who you know, Casey Banks. Yep pushing us recently in a sort of internal training, right? We take a lot of our own medicine, right? <laughs> Capacity building and training for our own selves. And she has really pushed us recently to think about this question. And it might be one that we can banter about a little bit here, Patrick. The question was, what do we want to be known for? Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you, it really stopped me in my tracks. And, you know, again, if I unpack it a little bit and, and we can talk more about it, like I didn't want to be known for being the best trainer or mm. facilitating the best board retreat or having the best design strategic plan, right? Those things are great. And it's nice to have that skill set as part of your repertoire, but it is not what I wanted to be known for. Mm. What we wanted to be known for is that a community a coalition, a system, an organization is better because we spent time with them. Yep. And once we started saying that out loud, a lot of these other things started to fall in place. Yeah. You know, there's nothing, and you'll you'll relate to this, there's nothing like having uh, an organization reach out two to three years beyond an engagement and say, you just wouldn't believe exactly. You just wouldn't believe what we've done and how you really unlocked exactly. That that's um, my version of that is that um, that being known for helping people get unstuck and yeah. unlock potential, yeah. and uh, that that's what it is. And you you know you've made it. It it wasn't just you know well we you know, Forrest did our strategic plan three years ago. Let's get someone else this time and exactly. let's build another document. Exactly. Right? <laughs> but so so play that forward into what you picked up on rightfully so about the vision statement. Again, for us, it wasn't just about then making an organization better or a coalition of organizations better. It was what impact are they going to have Mm -hmm. on communities and the people who live in them. The end game. And that was a natural extension for us then to to declare that as our sort of shared vision almost now with many of our clients, right? I love it. And I think that that uh, another word that both of us use a lot, and I know this is true and has become more deeply so true for 1000 feathers is the, the idea of partnership. Yep. And when you're partnering with your clients Correct. and their partners more than clients, Correct. that vision is shared. Yeah. It's so yep. it's, yeah, it's to the end game. Awesome stuff. Uh, okay. Let's get to it. Uh, you talked about seven things. <laughs> I know there's more than seven, <laughs> yeah. um, but you held up seven things that you felt like, well, you and Heather together, uh, wrote this um, this article about seven things you've learned in seven years. And I just want to walk us through it. Uh, we probably could spend an hour on each of them, but we don't have that, obviously. <laughs> so just just touch on these things and and walk us walk us through what you learned. Yeah. Uh, so the first one I, I mentioned just a few minutes ago is this concept of transformation, not transaction, right? And when we started this firm seven years ago, I sort of mistakenly believed that part of being a consultant was, you know, finding as many clients as you could and producing as many things as you could and getting on to the next engagement and, you know, sort of churning out products, churning out things, churning out reports or, or whatever it was. And boy, did we do a lot of that in the early <laughs> days, a lot of it. 
and still get plenty of phone calls asking us to do those things. Yeah. And, and to be clear, we still do them occasionally, but as a means to a greater end. Yep. Right. So we need a new strategic plan. Okay. And then what? Right. Or we need help with a community assessment. Okay. And then what are we going to do with it? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and changing our frame into this mode of pl- playing the conversation forward. Right. We're not here. We don't do our best work when we enter the room, complete a transaction, leave the room. We do our best work in transformational settings where, where there's a little bit of a long game here. Right. And, and there's more of a journey. Uh, where we're learning and growing and working together uh, and, and frankly, producing change and, and centering that level of impact as opposed to the product, right? Thinking about a level of change and impact. And, and again, that, that line of sight and that change for us has altered how we view every interaction that we have. You know, I, we, I have to say this just all rings <laughs> A bell. I mean, we're we're on the exact same journey, Forrest. And you know, you you think back and you go, man, I wish this had been the approach from the beginning. <laughs> right, right, you know, right. this makes so much sense. How did I miss this? But the reality is, you have to kind of go through the the building and the foundation setting and the, our own skill building of facilitating and and synthesizing and coaching and consulting to the point where we realize, oh, we like we get into this work and we realize, Oh, there's so much more That's right. that, that they need to be honest. That's right. Or that they could use to really, cause man, they've got the, that's right. Way, there's so much more we could do. Um, and I, I just got to say ours is exactly the same way. We've moved more toward, you know, we started out calling it sort of a, almost a retainer based mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. relationship where now more of ours is in the leadership space and mm-hmm. leadership coaching and executive coaching. And what happens is when you're a year or two into deep engagement with a, with an organization and they come back and say, we are seeing the difference right, on the ground. Right. Right. And then you're like, why wasn't I always doing yeah, this? Well, I, so I'll, I'll say two things about that. And we may prove you right here that we'll, we could spend an hour on this first point, <laughs> which, which I'm okay with by the way, but, okay. but two comments in, in response to what you just said. The first is, that often this level of transaction is what I refer to as the portal of entry. Mm -hmm. In other words, it doesn't matter how many times we've tried to reframe the conversation, how many times we've tried to say transformation, not transaction. 75%, I'm I'm sort of making up that number, but not really. Three quarters of the calls that we get are about somebody asking if we can help them complete a transaction. Yeah, that's right. Or maybe it's the 80-20 rule. Right, or something. something of that nature. But you're nature, right, it's a right? gateway. It is a gateway. And and we have to be strategic, no pun intended, in evaluating that opportunity to say, is this transaction, does this transaction have the potential to lead to something else? And and some do and some don't, right? And so again, as a, as a firm... That's a place in a space that's a little messy. And, and some of it is uh, this, you know, highly scientific gut feeling. Sounds a lot like our fundraising days, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, sure does. Like, like the, you know, volunteerism is a gateway to giving. Right, um, right. You know, that first gift of $100 that someone gives as right. a, in response to some letter you wrote them sure. 
if you cultivate it right, yep. that can turn into a lifetime value of a donor that turns into a planned gift one day that funds your stuff. Like that's right. So that's right. The, the same thing applies. It's, it's, it's really understanding that. And it's amazing how long it's taken me to apply some of the things I learned in the sector to this work. Cause yeah. there's so many of them are the same. So, so that's the first point I would make. The second one, just, just quickly, uh, for any other consultants or, or frankly, business owners that are, that are listening is we didn't just grab this approach out of the sky, right? It took us seven years. I, w- I wish it didn't take that long, but it took us seven years to figure this out. And we utilized data in a way to make this decision. And, and when I say data in a way, I, I don't want to overstate the analytics here. But we took a look back at six years of engagements with clients and asked ourselves two questions. Which engagements did we perform the best on and which engagements made us feel the best? And those are two different questions, right? Because you could have a good outcome. Again, we produced a bang up strategic plan, but it just didn't feel right. We left the room knowing they weren't going to do anything with it. <laughs> we did our job, right? We succeeded. So the, the, how well did we perform and how did it make us feel? And we then started really looking for, are there common characteristics of the client and partner engagements that both allowed us to perform at the highest level and feel really good about it? And that's how we got here. How much was that overlap? Mm, boy, it's a good question. I mean, let me, let me say this. By the time we went through that exercise, the common characteristics were very, very clear, right? We, we didn't have to go dig too far. It was pretty clear that this collection of engagements had some really similar characteristics and, mm. and those wouldn't surprise you, right? Right. Yeah. Strong leadership, right? B- people who were willing to go on a journey with us, right? Yeah. So even if the engagement started in a transactional way, it didn't end that way, right? Those sort of things. Um, yeah, they weren't in a hurry. Exactly. They, they weren't focused on doing it on the cheap. Exactly. They weren't just fulfilling a grant requirement. They, exactly. You know, the, you, yeah, yeah. But oh, that would be, all right, so I'm, I'm mental note. Yeah, yeah. It's a good yeah. analysis. It was, a, it was an interesting exercise for us, for sure. So, this, this falls under the, the, the relationships matter yeah. piece and, um, talk a little bit more. I, I want to hear you say a little bit more about how the relationship relates to what you just said, because, okay, did we do a good job and produce a good product and did we feel good about it? Where does tell tell me where relationship fits into that. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I maybe hadn't thought of it in exactly that context, but relationship and relationship building certainly has a connection to longevity, right? I mean, again, it, it's difficult to create a deep, meaningful relationship in a one-day board retreat, for example. Right. Right. As opposed to we're going to be on a journey with this organization over the next six, nine, 12 months. And yeah, that might include a board retreat. It might even include a strategic plan, but there's more to it. And again, even in the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sort of using this as a microcosm, but even in the board retreat setting, 
when we have worked with that organization, even in the past, you know, a year ago we worked with them and then we worked again with them, you know, two years prior to that. And we come into the room and we understand who you are, yep. what, where you're coming from, what you believe in, what drives you, these sort of things. Now we're working with you. Right. When I when I don't have that relationship, when I don't have that understanding, when I don't have any depth to to our relationship, yeah. now I'm working for you. Yeah, that's yeah, I, I totally get it. We're we're boy, we're really tracking on this. And I you know, I don't know, maybe it's just maybe this is the direction just everyone is more aware of how important this is. I don't I wonder how much COVID had to do with that. I mean, I lost so much we lost so much connection. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. care about Zoom and any of this. That was all wonderful. We lost a ton, an immeasurable amount of human connection yeah. over the last three years. Yeah. We, we have not recovered it. I don't know how we're going to recover it, if we'll ever recover it. But that connection, which I relate a lot to relationship, I, to me, it's more important than ever now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's right. And, and again, to just sort of extend that thought, right, from relationships comes trust or from trust comes relationships, I suppose you could argue it either way. But, mm-hmm. you know, if we build relationships, presumably we're building trust along the way. The other thing that allows us to do is to take a little risk, to be a little bit more courageous, to push just a little bit harder, Right. I, we just started a new engagement recently and we were in the first meeting and I, you know, won't go through the entire conversation, but this is a true story. The client stopped me in the middle of the meeting, in the middle of something I was saying. And he said, Forrest, I hired you because I trust you and I need you to tell me the truth. And it stopped me in my tracks. And I thought, my God, am I just giving this guy consultant speak? Like, you know, I need to, I need to tell him the truth. And I said, okay, you know, buckle up. Here we go. (laughs) We're, we're going to dive in. Um, but, but that was one of those moments that again, is a reminder about relationships, right? Like we, we had a relationship, there was some trust, there were some hard conversations that needed to be had. And the, the, the sequence of relationship and trust and the ability to be courageous and take risk is why we were at the table. Well, trust is like compound interest. Yeah, I mean, for it, sure. it, it is amazing because his comment to you, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say it made your trust in him grow instantly. For sure. For sure. So, so he's extending trust to you, which by the way, one of Covey's behaviors to (laughs) drive trust is to extend it. Right. He extended it to you. And I I bet immediately you trusted him more in that, you know, the authenticity and the motive and, and the, you know, the ability to, to go through that partnership. Great point. I, I love that. Your third one got me a little bit. I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing more about this one because, um, you, your third lesson was that proximity matters more. And when I hear the word proximity, I think nearness. Mm-hmm. And so uh, most mm-hmm. of the time proximity is used, it's used geographically and yeah. it's used, you know, I, I could think about proximity in terms of, again, are we having a zoom meeting or are we in the room with you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you framed it differently than I think maybe I've heard proximity framed before and it inspired, it piqued my interest. So say more about this one. Well, first of all, uh, it, it ties directly back to what you picked up on about our vision 
right? That ultimately our vision is that communities and the people who live in them have the strength, resiliency, and ability, right? To reach their full potential. And so in context here, when we're using the word proximity, it's, it's also about making sure that our organizational partners are getting out of their office and out of their boardroom, right? Making sure that we are engaging the, those who are most proximate, as it were, to the issue. Um, and in, in fairness and disclosure, this is a term that we borrowed from Bryden Stevenson. Mm-hmm. And the Brian Stevenson quote is, if you are willing to get proximate to those who are suffering, you will find the power to change the world. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where you use the word lived experience. Right. And are we listening to that? And exactly. do we even know anything about that? Or are we just a bunch of bureaucrat, bureaucrats in a room who know how to frame a SWOT analysis? 100%. 100%. And, and again, this has become one of our core beliefs, core promises, as it were, yeah. to those that we work with, is that we are going to push people to get proximate and, and make sure that in the process of learning and understanding about issues and about community uh, that we are listening to lifting up, elevating a a wide variety of voices and, and making sure that we are honoring the voices and opinions of those who are again, most proximate to the issues of interest. Yeah. And let me say another thing that inspires me about this forest is the words we promise. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. we've talked, you know, Charles Weathers is a, is a, um, a mutual friend and colleague of ours and, uh, talks about his, uh, VIP organizations, the mm. va- values mm-hmm. in practice. Mm-hmm. And, and we spend a lot of time on this too. I was with a team yesterday working, building a culture map inside a, an organizational culture map and figuring out not what are the words like honesty and transparency and integrity and customer centric and all, not, not a bullet listing of all right. those givens. Right but a real rule book. Um, I like the way you frame this because you it doesn't just say, mo- most value statements, even the good ones, will mm-hmm. say, we always listen. Mm-hmm. We value, elevate, and mm-hmm. engage a wide variety. Mm-hmm. You said, we promise to do that. Yeah, yeah. And that's a trust-building phrase right there, and it also puts it out there and puts a lot of accountability on you to fulfill that. I love, sure. I love the phrase we promise. I, I appreciate that. And, and again, it, you know, when we went through this, it, it, it wasn't a rebrand for us necessarily. Congratulations on your rebrand, by the way. Thank you. Um, it was not a rebrand, but more of a sort of reintroduction or restatement of yeah. who we are. Yeah. And part of that was the updated vision statement, the updated mission statement. And then, you know, again, if we were following the traditional sort of nonprofit trend line here, it would have been creation of a vision, then a mission, then our values. And as we were going through the values exercise internally, it didn't feel right. Mm. And we went from values and is, or is it core beliefs or is it, what is it? And we landed on this uh, framing of promises. And, And on our website, it says, Something to the effect of, if you choose 1,000 Feathers as your consultant of choice, we promise to I be. Love it. I love it. Right? And, love and it. then articulate those further. I love it. You know, we always talk about, we always talk to our organizations about making sure everything they're doing is aligned with the mission. Right. In this case, it's make sure that you're aligning your behaviors with your promises. You have to remind yourself of those we promises. We sure do. We sure do. Because they'll remind you if you don't. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, number four, data. Data. 
Uh, plenty we could talk about here for sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, we chose the frame here in our seven lessons uh, that data are necessary, but also insufficient. Yeah. Right. And, you know, this comes from lessons we've all collectively learned that m many organizations aren't going to fight you on the, you should collect data or information, but many of them are stuck to use, use the word you used earlier. Right. And, and have no idea what to do with it. We were working with an organization not too long ago uh, on, you know, sort of reframing their organizational culture. And one of the things that, came up as a suggestion from staff as we were, you know, going through the process of staff interviews and a staff survey and all the things you might do. Somebody said sort of in passing, Hey, why don't you check out the exit interviews? I said, that's a great idea. We went to the HR department and said, how about the exit interviews? Could we take a look at those? Oh yeah, I'm sure they're somewhere. And I said, well, do you do them? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah. Every time somebody leaves. And I said, well, has anybody ever read one? And she said, I'm actually not sure. I'm actually not sure, that's, right? That's, so, uh, oh, yeah. so, so this idea that, you know, having data or collecting data is critically important. But if we're not actually using it, right, and, and our... Our team talks a lot about sort of the, the, the muscle memory and equipping people to have the skills to make data-driven decisions. That's, that's a, a level up. A buzz, a buzz phrase, by the way. <laughs> it is indeed. But it's also a level up. Yeah, but it's real. <laughs> from just saying you should collect more data right? You, yeah. you should, yeah. you should do another focus group, please yeah. know, right? You should really dive in and see if you can understand and make sense of the data you already have. Mm. Um, and, and what sort of skills do we need within an organization um, to, to really use data and research and connect that information to meaningful change, right? And, and again, building the muscle memory that that becomes part of who we are. Yeah. Uh, I was working with a national organization in Salt Lake and one of their value statements that they came up with when we, when we were going through a, a pretty deep dive was we will make our decisions informed by credible data, mm. not by assumptions and emotions. Mm. Mm. I like that a lot. And, but, but <laughs> that takes us to the second half of this, which is also insufficient. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, sure. We make our decisions based on informed, you know, credible data rather than assumptions and emotions, but mm -hmm. at least quantitative data or something that's so concrete is just not always f there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, so often we are engaged with organizations and coalitions and systems that are connected to social service issues. Right. And they may be looking at quantitative data that's two, three years old or declaring or coming up with outcomes that they're not going to know if they reached for another 10 years. Right. Yeah. So what else do we have at our disposal? And, and again, that might be more qualitative information, more storytelling, more, that's more ability. That's, of course it is. That's all of data. Of course it is. Yeah. It's, it's all data. It's all necessary. But again, this, this idea that simply having access to it 
uh, is only one step in the journey, as it were. You have probably found this. I all the organizations that you and I are both working with are um, have deep diversity, equity, and inclusion on their radar, mm. and some of them very deeply in their DNA, and some of them we're supposed to have it. Right. 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 Um, I'm not a DEI expert, but I found myself having to help organizations come up with some framework because every single one of them going, what about DEI? What about mm-hmm. DEI? Mm-hmm. So I came up with, uh, Molly Metz helped me with this at the Mary Black Foundation. I know you've worked with them and you know them well. Um, Molly helped me come up with this cause they're doing incredible work on equity and health equity. And I ended up coming up with a five D framework. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I do simple stuff for us. I'm not, I'm not. No, I listen that. What would we be as consultants without four P's without, and three C's uh, and five D's? Yeah. Well, mine's, mine's always five, but the, the first D for me, is, so I'll have organizations go, well, we, we really want to make sure DEI is a part of this plan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tell me what that means. So the first D is define it. Mm. What, what is diversity mm. to you? What is, what, do you know what equity actually is? Is your organization had a conversation about what inclusion is? Have you defined it? The second D is, and, and people look at me funny when I ask them this question. Okay, good. You've got the defined terms. What does your data tell you? Mm-hmm. What do you mean? What is your data? T- does your, is your data telling you that you need to do more DEI work? Right. Probably where? Your board matrix, your third grade reading gap in your community, mm-hmm. your, I mean, what, what, what does the data say about DEI work for you? Because everybody might have a different focal point for applying DEI. Right. Of course, it's a thread. It should be everywhere. But what does the data tell you? Yep. And that they stop, they don't get to the other three D's until they get to what are we even working on sure. that we sure. can make a move a needle on. Yeah. And, and to that point, so often the data that are collected either haven't been, or we, we aren't able to disaggregate. We aren't able to look at in any sort of sophisticated way and make some conclusions in this space that you're talking about specifically. And, and whether that's community outcomes, whether that's internal, whether that's right. I mean, go back to this example I gave about the uh, exit interviews, right? It, this isn't a, a a DEI disaggregation necessarily, but you'll you'll love this. So we we get access to the exit interviews. There are, you know, fifty some of them. This is an organization that had had three different executives over the last ten or twelve years, and it was obvious to us, but apparently to nobody else. Well, we should disaggregate these data based on when the exit interview occurred and sort of who was the leader at that time, right? They had been doing exit interviews for 10 years and had all of these questions on the exit interview, every question except the date, <laughs> right? So, so we couldn't make any connection at all, right? So, so again, this is, this is what gets into this insufficient piece, right? And, yeah, this, and yeah. what, what are we doing with these data once we have them? And, yeah. and, Far too often, the answer is very little, if anything at all. I walked into my first United Way executive directorship, a small United Way, about a million dollar budget and very traditional old school, you know, federated fundraiser, right? 25 member agencies that got the money every year. (laughs) Right. 
And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm learning my way around the office. And I, I said, what's this four drawer filing cabinet right here? What's in this? And she said, oh, those are the financial, the, with the monthly financial reports from the agencies. I said, really? Like we get, they send us monthly financial reports. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's part of the requirement for them to get funding. They have to send us every month. They have to send us their financial statements. I said, and what happens to them? And she looked at me and she looked back at the drawer and she looked back at me and she goes, they, they go in there. <laughs> yeah. I just told you what happens to them. They go in the drawer. And I'm like, let's get rid of that requirement. Mm -hmm. If we're not like, what, mm -hmm. what, what are we doing here? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's this idea that we need to collect data, but so that we can say we collected it. Yeah. Um, uh, Melissa Strompolis, another just outstanding member of our team says all the time, like, don't collect these data if you're not going to do anything with them. Like, yeah, exactly. Scrap this question, scrap this oh, instrument, oh, scrap this survey, survey, scrap yeah. this whatever. Like, yeah. what do you think is going to happen or what are you going to do differently yeah. based on the information we will get from this thing, this That's question, right. this entire instrument, this entire effort? Yeah. And, you know... That is, again, much like as you were walking through your your model earlier, like when people get stuck on that question, we know they're not ready to proceed yeah. with the rest of the conversation. Yeah, you can't go, you can't go to the next step. Right. By the way, if you want the other three Ds, go back to episode four when <laughs> Molly was on the show. Actually. Oh, perfect. So, um, okay, number five. I love this one. <laughs> yeah, we've all learned this one. Disruption is part of the journey. For sure. I mean, I, you I have know, a wild guess as to what brought that one about. Yeah, but yeah, yeah about right. It. I mean, you know, for for a consultancy and a small business, as it were, that uh, has just recently turned seven years old, we recognized that there was a global pandemic smack in the middle of that. Um, but you know what? What is interesting, Patrick, in in so much of our work, and I'm sure so much of yours, that we've realized is that obviously was a significant major disruption. Um, but the truth about disruption is that organizations experience it more as a sort of small drip, 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 right? This year's 5% budget cut. It's a disruption. Maybe we maybe don't categorize it as such, but then next year's 3%. And then the year after that, it's 2%. And then the next year, it's 5%. Drip, drip, yep. drip. Right. We've had two or three staff who have left recently. That's a disruption, right? Every time we have turnover on our teams, we've, you know, all of these sorts of things. The, and the printer went down exactly on the day we're doing a direct mailing. Exactly. Is a direct, someone asked me yesterday, we were doing some culture work and, and one of the questions was, how do we handle crisis? Yep. And so one of the staff looked at me and said, Okay, so on this question, just for clarity, are we talking about <laughs> pandemic crisis or are we right, talking about right. someone didn't come to work today crisis? Yeah. And I said, what's the difference? Yeah. How yeah. does this organization approach crisis? And I, and I think as, as we were putting this blog together initially, there may be not perfect synonyms, but crisis and disruption could yeah, probably yeah, yeah. be used interchangeably yeah. here. and. You know, part of our point in, in putting this in one of our lessons was it doesn't matter how hard you try to avoid disruptions. They are a natural part of, of life and work. Subsequently, 
don't put all of your energy in trying to avoid the disruption. Put some more energy into the question you just asked. Are we prepared to and or how will we handle the disruption when it comes? Right. Because the question's not if it comes. The question yeah. is when it yeah. comes. All day, every day. Exactly. Exactly. Here's what I've learned along the way um, is, and I've thought of this actually in this framework for a long time. We talk about change and adapting to change. You know, mm -hmm. we, we all mm -hmm. have to adapt to right. change, right. which is this disruption. We also have to create disruption. For sure. Hey, like For we sure. have to get intentional and proactive about there are times it's not about responding to change. It's about being the ones creating it. Yeah. And disruption change is scary enough for people. When you say disruption, that's even scarier. For sure. But we have to disrupt. I mean, look, we, we won't go into it, but all, there's all the stories, right? All the big global brands and the, you know, there's so many stories of disruption. We could talk Elon Musk. We could talk Henry Ford, but disruption changes the game and sometimes it it's got to get changed simon sinek's uh one of his latest books i don't know if it's his latest one but the infinite game mm -hmm. you read yeah, that i have yeah the existential flex right that that we got to change before change is needed yeah yeah otherwise we're going to be reacting to some change and we're going to be behind oh, we're yeah, going to be kodak exactly blockbuster right. whatever you know name your right. your analogy right so sometimes we have to create the disruption which is a part of the journey just like just like dealing with it and, and facing it is. I, I think that's exactly right, Patrick. It's, it's really well said. And again, recognizing that that disruption is a part of the natural evolution then prepares you or, or sets you in the right mindset of whether it's I need to handle one that I didn't predict or whether it's I've created one of my own. <laughs> Right, but, and I but, didn't even know it. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> right? But but if we're in the if we're in a mode of avoiding disruption, right? Mm. The 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 sort of things that happen are we keep problematic employees around too long. Uh -oh. We we uh -oh. keep we keep partners in the community that that aren't holding up their end of the bargain. Mute, we, mute you your know. speakers, friends. Mute your speakers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Truth we'll, coming. Yeah, right. <laughs> Truth incoming. Um, but but that part of that at least is a mental model of avoiding disruption That's right. or avoiding discomfort, yeah. right? And so yeah. this this sort of mental model that disruption is, is part of the business, uh, I, I think does matter in all directions. Yeah, good stuff. Collaboration and partnership are keys to our success. So before you dive into this one, let me yeah. just tell you, and I don't mean to insult you on this, th that everybody says that, right? For sure. All right. Everybody 100%. says we a collaboration and partnership are the keys. Yep. But how I'm, I'm really looking forward to hear you say how you've learned. This is a lesson learned for you in seven years. So how did you learn that lesson? Yeah, it's, it's first of all, good observation, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, this is maybe on, on, on its face, the least provocative of the seven lessons we put out. No, it's just the most familiar. Well, maybe, that, that could also be. In terms of its, yeah. That could also be. But I'll, I'll tell you the, the construct here or the frame that we used to elevate this as one of our lessons is thinking about our relationship, quite frankly, with people like you mm. and like Charles Weathers and like other consultants, not just in South Carolina, but around the country. And our comfort and confidence in our own skin to say we are better 
when we collaborate and partner mm. with others in this space. Right? Absolutely. My guess is, and, and again, I realize you have a broader audience here than, than South Carolina, but if there's a South Carolina nonprofit listening, their first inclination is probably to think, oh, Forrest and Patrick are you know, competitors at some level. And it really, for us, was removing that layer of doubt yeah. and saying, I, you don't even need to think about that question anymore because yeah. I'm going to lift the good folks around us up as our partners and our collaborators. Not only are we going to lift up those partnerships and collaborations, but we are going to say they are key to our success. Uh, yeah. And we are going to be comfortable enough to admit the things we don't know or don't do well and use those folks as part of a referral network, mm. part of a better system, part of a, you know, belief that that there is a lot of work to be done and we can go further together. We can have more of an impact together. Right. I mean, this, you know, again, is not just something we say, it's something we believe. And, and it does occasionally freak people out. I'll tell you. Right. I mean, again, when when you don't just say it and you mean it, that does people look, people raise an eyebrow. That does, you, may, that does make about? people raise an eyebrow. <laughs> like, Oh, you, you mean that. Yeah. You know, and, and again, it's, it's not uncommon for our phone to ring or for somebody to send an inquiry through our website. And we say, we're not the right firm for that, yep. but let me tell you who is. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, rewind four minutes and listen to that whole sequence again. That was really, really rich um, because we, we feel threatened by, you know, Hildy Gottlieb is a, was a nonprofit consultant based out of Tucson when I was at my, again, my, my United, my small United way. Um, and she now, she now leads an organization called creating the future and she's actually helping. You should, now that I'm thinking about it, you should be a part of that. I need to get you in that because it's a, it's somewhat a family of consultants okay. in our space okay. about how we're helping, how we're doing, creating your vision. Sure. Actually, uh, how have I never um, hooked you into this? Um, <laughs> but anyway, Hildy came to Danville, Virginia one year. Um, we were working with, we had a little funders forum, mm -hmm. the United Way, the, the community foundation there and a hospital conversion foundation, mm -hmm. a, a regional mm -hmm. foundation that mm -hmm. had, had really big money. Mm -hmm. And she came to do some consulting work with us around how we can work as a funders forum. And she said, do you ask your nonprofits to collaborate? You ever do that? We're like, yeah, all the time. <laughs> do you do collaborative grants? A couple of us were like, yeah, we encourage them to, you know, do, mm -hmm. and she goes, okay, so, so why is it we ask our, our, we as, as funders, keep telling our fundees, collaborate, 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 collaborate. You're not in competition. And yet as funders, yeah. we compete with each other because yeah. we don't want to share data with each other. We want credit for the workshop we sponsored and funded. We want to, you know, like we want to say we funded this great initiative because we want credit. Mm -hmm. Why? Because we want donors too. And if, and even if we don't need donors, like the regional foundation, that's just, you know, doesn't, doesn't live off it, off of donations, they still need community credibility and you know, right. All of that. So that collaboration piece, it's that, it's that, like you said, when they raise an eyebrow, what, yeah. what, what do you, what do you, you want to, you know, this nonprofit calls me up and wants to 
Kind of, well, I don't know. What's, sure. They got some game going on. Yeah, here. no, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly right. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and, you know, again, in, in the sort of on the ground view, again, we spend so much of our time uh, entrenched in social service issues. You know, think homelessness, early childhood education, teen pregnancy prevention, uh, the uh, yeah. cradle to career pipeline, right? And sort of walk into a community and recognize right away that certainly no single agency, but also to your point, probably no single funder has the bandwidth resources capability to take on these issues. And yeah. so if, if we are not genuine um, about our, our willingness and ability to partner and collaborate, we're, we're just going to continue to fall flat. Yeah. Good stuff. Last lesson. And I love this one. This one might be my favorite. Okay. All right. Um, less is more. Yeah. What's the, what's the learning behind that for you? Well, f again, for us, and I, I gave a little insight to this several minutes ago when I said we went through and, and really did a sort of evaluation of our past engagements. Um, we wanted to try to figure out if we could come up with a set of you know, sort variables as it were, right? That when a request comes in, how do we sort through it and know if it's something we're going to say yes to or not? What, what are the sort of criteria? What are the things we're talking about that are, that are going to allow us to make a decision? Yes or no. Are we going to be involved? And do we have the comfort and the confidence, you know, to be able to say no to some things so that we can focus on the opportunities, but for us, there's know. a grant for it. I know, I know, but it, but again, it was a it was a real sort of freeing moment, right? To even start saying this to our team, like focus on the place where we can work at our optimal level. Where do we work the best? Where yeah. do we feel the best? Go do more of that, and let everything else go. Yeah. And it's the second part of that statement that we so often oh, forget. It's horrible in the sector. Right. right? It's and horrible. It, the, we can't let anything go. We can't. We can't let anything go. We we can't let the four drawer filing cabinet you mentioned no, earlier go. No, that's we sacred. can't we can't let the program that, you know, somebody started ten years ago and we're not even sure if anybody still participates or not, but my goodness, we've got to still. We can't have let around. the staff person go. We can't let the board member go. Yep. It is uh there is there is a lot here, right? And and again, this this sort of comfort though that we fall into, right? I, and I think that part of not letting go and not saying no is just sort of we've let comfort become complacency, right? And it just it's always been that way, and that's the way it's going to be, and. We wanted, again, think of, think of these seven lessons as sort of concentric circles. Mm -hmm. This less is more. Part of that is also disruption, right? Like it is a yeah. disruption to say, to we're, we're going to let that go. Oh, absolutely. Right. Um, or we're going to say no to that opportunity. That yeah. doesn't fit. Yeah. Um, you know, or we're not the right person for that, but we have partners who are right. All of these thoughts are connected. Yeah. But Again, it's a reminder to us and to our partners and colleagues and friends in the field and otherwise, it, it does take courage and discipline to say no to opportunities. 
Um, one of my mentors years ago said this, and I've used it a billion times in board meetings. Strategy is as much about deciding what not to do mm, mm. as it is what to do. For sure. And everything comes with a trade-off. That's mm-hmm. economics 101. I think mm-hmm. it's the first line in the, any textbook you get, right? Mm-hmm. Everything comes with a trade-off. And we don't want to make those trade-offs. I mean, how yeah. many how many um, board meetings have you been in, board retreats, where the strategic intentions are, we want to expand our, our, our uh, footprint. Mm-hmm. We want to uh, add a mental health service or this service <laughs> or that service. We want to update our technology. We want to uh, sophisticate our marketing efforts. We And I go, okay, so what's going to give here? Because everybody I've talked to in your organization talks about how stretched you are and exactly. you can't take on one more thing. Yep. So what are you going to let go? Right. Well, we, we can't let go of any of it. Yeah. Or we hadn't even thought about that. All right. Well, then where's the windfall? <laughs> right. Exactly. Coming from to, exactly. to fund all of this yeah. and to support all of this yeah. from a structure standpoint. And yeah. And, and here's the other thing about less is more. Uh, and you've seen our brand construct, clarity, simplicity, alignment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's nothing harder than the work these organizations are doing. That's right. There's nothing more complicated, right. more complex. Rocket science literally is is not <laughs> as complicated. It's not right. because it's not as layered. Yeah. yeah. And and I, I could go back. There's a, real quickly, I'll just say, years ago, there was an NPR show, uh, Morning Edition or Fresh Air or one of the, I forget which one it was. Uh, where they were talking about the hardest job in the world. Mm. And they literally had on the program a a neurosurgeon from Johns Hopkins and a nuclear engineer at McDonnell Douglas mm. talking about brain surgery and rocket science. Because <laughs> those are the things we say. Yeah, right? yeah, right. Oh, right. I mean, we got to figure this out. It's not brain not surgery. Not brain surgery, right. So they asked the brain surgeon and the and the rocket scientist <laughs> What do you say when you and your colleagues are working on a difficult situation and you think, <laughs> well, we ought to be able to solve this after all? And it, I think it was the rocket scientist who said, it was the nuclear engineer who said, oh, I think my, I don't know about my colleagues, but I'm usually thankful every day that I'm not charged with solving the social ills of the world. <laughs> Fair enough. So think Fair about enough. that. Next yeah, time you say sure. it's not rocket science and, and brain surgery. No, it's harder. For sure. So the simplicity is absolutely essential mm-hmm. in our world because mm-hmm. we can't get our head around those layers. Yeah. And those complexities, yeah. too, it's too much to say grace over in a day or a That's month right. or a year or a five-year strategic planning framework. So how do we at least break it down in a way we could walk out of the room and talk about it and understand it yeah. and know that the work we're doing is doing three things, not 300,000 things. Exactly. And, and more specifically, being excellent at three things yeah, yeah as opposed to being mediocre at 300 there you go right and yeah. and you know and i that, mean that's us isn't it like it, well, that that's not just the organizations we have to remind it's, ourselves it's, of that in it's our all work. of us personally yeah, professionally so all that so true man these are good for us i i really do think we we're, we're actually um we we've been on the on the uh on the air for about an, an hour we boy we could have gone there's so much more. You'll have, next time you come back, we'll have to do a part two. Happy to do it. Happy to do <laughs> the, it. The next seven lessons you learned in seven months. <laughs> yeah, or that's something. right. I don't exactly. Know. Sure. Yeah, I'm learning a lot. I, I will say this: when we, um, when I started this, particularly when it, when when we took it full time around the time that you did, I couldn't wait for it. I was so jazzed about doing my own strategic plan. Mm. I was like, mm. I'm doing this for. Like, <laughs> I know how to do this. Sure. <laughs> 
can't wait. And man, I built a, it was the, the jinx perspective was going to do, man, we had, I had it. Oh, it yeah. was, it was gorgeous. 30 days in, I went, oh no, 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 wait, 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 wait. I wasn't thinking about that. Right. Hang right, on, hang right, on, hang on, hang right. on. 90 days in. Oh no. Okay. No, yeah. this is it. Yeah. A year in, I mean, that has happened so many times for me. Right. And it, it's, it's now further and further apart when yeah. that happens. But boy, the learning of, um, oh no. <laughs> and so I, yep. here, here's maybe, maybe the thing that I've, I don't know, I'm kind of thinking out loud here. This might be the thing I've learned the most. We have to be okay with lots of adapting and ad- and fluidity and, for sure. and, you know, flexibility and agility. We have to be yeah. able to do that. Yeah. I, and I think that's again, true, not just of us as consultants, but also all those that we work with. Absolutely. Right. And it's, you know, there is nothing static, nothing consistent about the communities and, and the, the lives that are being impacted by the work. Yeah. So why yep. would we think that the work itself yeah, would it. then, you know, be, be consistent. So I, you know, I'll, I'll keep track if my math is correct. Episode five and now one Oh one. So that brings me back at one ninety seven. No, it didn't have to be that far take. away. No, no let's not make that it far that far away, but we can add, you know, less than eight, nine, 10 to this and, oh, yeah. and keep talking. That'd yeah. be fun to do. Well, this is really good. And you know, you and I were at a, a diner somewhere in Memphis. Yeah, that's right. Some time ago, some months ago. And we were talking about how lucky we are to get for sure. to do this. For sure. You know, just wake up and just, um, I was talking with a colleague this morning and we were having this conversation about glass half full and glass half empty. (laughs) And, um, I said, you know, most days I wake up and feel like my glass is actually overflowing. Mm. It just really, it just really feels that way because of, of just, I mean, gosh. Yeah. What a, what a blessed, what a blessed life and an honor to get to work in the sector not just for the people that are that are in there doing what they're doing that we're working with, but the people like you who are working, who are making me stronger, each other stronger, and 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 helping us feel like we're not alone in, yeah. in doing this stuff. Yeah. No, that's exactly right, and that feeling's mutual. And you know, speaking of glasses and empty and full, mine's about empty here. So I think it's time to wrap <laughs> yeah, it up. Yeah, prob- probably. Thanks is. again for having me, man. Thank you. This was awesome. Uh, hey, folks, go to. 1000feathers.com. That's the don't have to spell out 1000, by the way. Write 1000 as a number and then write feathers.com. Uh, and by the way, when you're there, go to the Our Story link in the menu and learn about how the name 1000 Feathers came about. There's a teaser for you. That's your homework. Forrest, thanks. Folks, thanks for listening. Uh, lead on. Lead on.